Hi, everybody. I'm Nate Moore, and this is another podcast of Big Ideas from the Business Intelligence Guy on using data in your medical practice. I'm live in Richmond, Virginia today, sitting with my friend Lucian Roberts. Lucian is the Chief Administrator of Gastrointestinal Specialists, which is a big GI practice in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome, Lucian. Good to be here. Good to have you in town on such a rainy day. It is good to be here. I want to talk for a few minutes about how you use data in your medical practice, what's moved the needle for you, some of those kind of things. When we initially started, you were kind of frustrated with the canned reports you were getting out of your practice management system. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> that frustration hasn't changed. Um, I've always, what I've wanted has always been a few stages ahead of what the canned reports in our PM and EHR provide. So in moving to pivot tables, what I was really looking for was being able to get a report, but once I get that flat file, to be able to do more than rerun that report uh, with slightly different tweaks. I found that real frustrating. I also found it very frustrating that in some systems, the PM data, the demographics and the insurance and the appointment data are kept separate from the clinical data. And I wanted a way to collate those to provide uh, meaningful things. And with pivot tables and uh, in, in Excel in a broader sense, but what I've been able to do is to pull data from the PM EHR world and put it in my world, which is in using data for, uh, I think the term used is business intelligence. It's a great term because that's what I'm doing to move the needle with my doctors, not to study data, but to use data to change the trajectory of the practice, the direction we're going. So let's talk about that trajectory, the direction, whatever. It's an example of what have you done to move the needle in your practice, Lucian? What, give some specific, what have you done to really, you know, change the way you practice medicine or you run your business? Okay. Um, well, we, we, or I guess I subscribe to something that I call the Hawthorne effect, and that is that we are transparent with our data. We don't silo it between providers, so we share equally the data. It shows how Dr. A is doing, Dr. B, Dr. C. So a big part of moving the needle, I think, is to share each person's performance relative to their peers, Mm-hmm. but also to any other uh, benchmarks that you may have. You know, when you're, when you're looking in a medical practice, things change, but you always have a benchmark in prior year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. And you change something, you add an office, you add a provider, you tweak the process, and then you're able to use the data to measure the response. And, and the whole comparison thing. I mean, they're, they're a bit competitive. Yes, they are absolutely competitive. Absolutely. And in doing so, it incents uh, in, people to change their behavior. A good example would be uh, in a specialty practice like ours, we get a lot of the procedure business and the procedures drive the revenues in a specialty practice like ours from new patients. Mm-hmm. So if you have a provider who's clinic schedule consists of 80% established patients and 20% new versus someone who has the opposite, 80% new and 20% established, 
you're going to see increased revenues from those that see more new patients, bring in more new business. Mm -hmm. So I share that data. I pull it uh, from PM and EHR, from our our, uh, practice management systems, into Excel where I use pivot tables to show these percentages. I've got the raw data, but I'm manipulating it in pivot tables to show percentages. You know, establish patients as a percent of total mm-hmm. clinic volume. And then I'm able to use that to tweak behavior. And, you know, one of the things I found with some doctors is that they are in the habit of, or were in the habit, I should say, of having a patient come back every month or six weeks when that didn't change the patient's care. It may hold their hand a little bit, make them feel better, but it didn't change the trajectory of the patient's care. And that we could provide the same level of care with uh, quarterly visits versus monthly visits. That would be one good example of how we have used this to move the needle and modify behavior. And you compare it to your peers and you say, hey, every, you know, how's, everybody else is at 80% new and I'm at 30% new. And look, doctor, here's why they have twice as many procedures as you do. And all of a sudden the needle starts to twitch a bit. Yes. And we're like most practices. There is a production component to their uh, W-2 income. Mm-hmm. And ours is probably smaller than other practices, but it's enough to uh, impact behavior, to change behaviors. Let's talk about that trending thing and moving the needle. So you can see that, hey, you know, we're going to try to see more new patients and we can trend that in pivot tables over time and say, all right, this is what it was in you know, January versus February versus March. What, what yeah. else have you trended or looked for as you're trying to move the needle around procedures? Um, a, a pretty good example would be a procedure called a hemorrhoid banding. And that is, uh, I'll spare the non-GI people the details, but it is a procedure that will help a lot of patients. But if you don't ask the patient about their hemorrhoids, then you are not going to have the procedures that come from that. Okay. So it is, people don't like to talk about hemorrhoids and other personal issues, Uh, And so in asking the patient about that, you will uh, have the patient talk and the patient will often come in for a colonoscopy. They're not thinking about the hemorrhoids, but it's a procedure that can help a lot of people so that they aren't itching and burning every day. And in trending volume from one year to another, I am able to track our hemorrhoid banding volume. And the assumption is that I've got similar number of patients every year, so I can track that and look at the number of banding opportunities we have. And if the banding opportunities are the same, then our procedure volume should be similar. It gets, it's, it's homogenous there. Um, and so what I use is I use that data to trend it. I look forward and project the number of bandings that we might do in 2019 and I use that to um, in a lot of ways I use it for inventory management it's a little thing but I don't want a lot of uh, 70 or hundred dollar pieces of equipment clinical supplies sitting on shelves not used mm-hmm. I don't want to over order because that costs us money so I use it to manage my inventory 
if I see an increase in the number of procedures, procedure A that we're doing, then I'm ordering more and therefore I go to the vendor and try to get a discount. I'm ordering more, I'm buying more of your product, so I would like a 5 or 10% discount. Mm-hmm. Go straight to the bottom line. But in using that uh, with hemorrhoid bandings to project into the future, I'm able to use it to save money because I can say, I'm going to, I used, I did X number of bandings last year, X number this year, I'm projecting an increase of X this year. I would like, I will order this much and I expect a discount. If I see a decline or project a decline because a doctor that does a lot of a procedure has retired, I use it the opposite way. I know not to overorder because I'll have lots of inventory sitting. Well, and you ought to be able to look at it and say, hey, assuming that our patient population is homogenous, like you said, Dr. A does, you know, X amount of these and Dr. B does, you know, 50% or 20% or 10% as many. Is it is there something about Dr. B where we need to have a different conversation with the patient or we need to do something different to get that procedure volume where it is with the rest of the providers? Yeah, and, and another thing I really like about pivot tables is that, you know, I believe that the larger the sample size, the larger the patient population, the, the more commonality there would be among mm-hmm. a group of specialists. So if I were to run this report in my practice management system, it could spit out 2017 and 2018 and 2019. And if I wanted to look at all of that together, then I would have to create another report, figure out which drop downs are in the, the reporting, you know, all that stuff I love so much. Click, uh, click, 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 click. And then remember what you click, click, click last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I get older, I don't remember those click, click, clicks. So for me, I can do all of this in the move of a mouse in a pivot table. I mean, it is, it's, it gives us, we know we've had data for, 30 years and in my 30 years in healthcare, I've never been able to get to the data I wanted and to look at the data like I wanted so quickly, so effortlessly and so powerfully. So um, pivot tables are the best thing that have happened to my practice because I can use them with appointment scheduling, procedures, the Hawthorne effect of influencing behavior. I use them in E&M codes too, which is, you know, something that we don't always think about, but that's the heart and soul of any medical practice or is our E&M billing. Mm-hmm. And trending it, but you know, by provider, by year or by month or whatever, and seeing where are we? And I intervened and I tried to help this provider code better or whatever. And did anything change? And did the change last and all that? Yeah, and, and all of us, you know, all of us know there's this uh, mythical bell curve in the EM coding, and Medicare actually has some really good data that shows the EM coding patterns for every specialty. So in GI, I can tell you of the, you know, 2 million uh, office follow up visits that were coded last year, I can tell you what the pattern is for the average uh, gastroenterologist. I use that data to look at the bell curve, and then look for outliers. If someone is coding higher, if they're coding a lot of 99214s or 215s, then it gives us a point of reference. Is this doctor uh, seeing a sicker patient, a more acute patient? Mm -hmm. If they are, then the coding is the clue that says you need to look at their documentation to make sure the documentation supports that higher level. Sure. 
conversely, if I see somebody that is coding a lot of 99212s or 99211s, then their documentation should support a higher code, so we're leaving money on the table. I know that, uh, interesting stat, um, in family medicine, the, the, uh, they use 99213 and 99214 about 35 million times in a year. So all the family medicine doctors with Medicare use either a 99213 or 214 35 million times. There's about a $35 difference between in reimbursement nationally between the two. So just in those two codes and one specialty, Medicare has a $1.2 billion spend. Crazy. Crazy. Wow. So... With that, I know what Medicare is looking at. If they can move things down to a lower code, it saves them a lot of money. So, you know, my assumption is that they've got this data. They're looking at it. Anthem, Cigna, others are looking at it. So I want to make sure that my coding and documentation are um, collated. My documentation supports my coding and vice versa. And I don't want to leave money on the table. And I also don't want to put us at undue risk. So I use pivot tables with ENM data to go beyond just a flat file, manipulate it, look at it by office, look at it by type of provider. Um, and it, it gives me insights that, um, I, that I've never had before. It also, if I do a report and the report doesn't do anything other than rule out one of my, my hypotheses in my mind, I've only lost two minutes of my day, whereas if I'd done that with traditional PMEHR reporting, that might have been 10 minutes or 20 minutes to reach my null hypothesis. So it's a huge time. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) optimistically. So it is a huge um, time saver in my life. And I think that's what, if, if if there are two things I love or three things I love about pivot tables, one, it saves me hours. Mm hmm that I can devote to other things. So it is a big time saver. Number two, it takes me places with my data that I've known were there, I've dreamed of. It's my data bucket list. I've had all these things forever. And the last three years, I've been able to get to my bucket list and use the data, look at the data in so many different and cool ways. And the third thing is, it's great to have data but if it doesn't move the needle, if it doesn't transform behavior, if it doesn't guide the practice in terms of strategy or office placement or things like that, then that data has no value. And since we have used pivot tables, since I've been able to harness the power of uh, this data, we've had uh, the two best years in forever in the practice. And I give a lot of credit to having the data available to help hide us. So I'm a huge pivot table fan because I can show you how it has transformed my practice. I want to close with a comment that you made, Lucian, where you said they've got this data. I mean, the payers have got this data. I think savvy competitors have this data in your market or whatever. And if you're just flushing this data away and not using your data to run your practice, you're at a competitive disadvantage in a very increasingly competitive market. Yeah. Uh, probably five years ago, I wrote a dorky article for MGMA Connection for their national magazine, and it was on the pufferfish. 
A pufferfish is this little harmless looking fish that uh, doesn't go noticed, but if it is threatened, then it blows out the blowfish and it's got these spikes and it's scary looking. And I compared it to the shark, the shark being the big payer. They've got the data, they've got the size, they've got everything. And we are all the little fish swimming around. How do we become a puffer fish? The pretense of that article was to have data that you knew that the payer didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it was it actually was a very good concept. I'd love to rewrite that article today because now I've got much more data on my side than I did. A lot of what I said five years ago was theoretical. Now I can back that up and use that to change my contracting. Absolutely. Well, it's been great to uh, talk with you today, and thanks for joining me today. Always good insights, and appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Have a safe trip back.